right, let's look in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, that's a good song, ladies. And uh, uh, Calvary is a place and a location where Jesus made the, the uh, payment for us. And um, if you put your faith in Him, then past, present, future, all of your sin debt with God is covered. And that covered it, not anything that you could do would cover it. And so... Thank you for singing about that. All right, we are in the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings, and we have been journeying through this, and it's a kind of a letter about some joy in hard times, and it's a letter of encouraging a church, Philippian church, and today we're going to look at what we can call uh, resolving internal church conflict. That's really where we're coming up next, Philippians Four, verses 1, 2, and 3. And last week we were in the end of Philippians 3 and into Philippians chapter 4 and we talked about standing fast in the Lord and it involves uh, following an example Paul gave to us, it involves lo- looking out against foes and then looking to the future of Jesus coming back. And now uh, we want to be helped by this. These, these writings in the Bible all the Bible's telling us about God has different styles and different um, uh, original intent. All of it's telling us about God. All of it's telling us about Jesus Christ. Old Testament gives us some history of God dealing with His covenant people, the Jews. New Testament gives us His uh, dealing on earth when Jesus Christ came here. And then these epistles tell us about how to be a Christian and church life. And that's what we're narrowing down to is... All right, Christians have internal conflicts sometimes in the church. And whatever you're going to learn today, too, apply to you know, apply some of these ethics and these principles to your home and to your workplace. But we'll take it firsthand, what it's speaking about for us today, internal church conflict. All right, here we go, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. Paul says, Therefore, my dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So here you have a Paul addressing the church, what does he say at first? He says, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. You're beloved, you're beloved, you're beloved. And, but he says, um, but I want to call out a couple of ladies in the church. I'm not going to, just letting you know. He says, I'm going to call out, I might have to, but not today. Um, uh, uh, Yodius and Syntyche. Um, those are, I know you ladies weren't thinking of naming your daughters that. Uh, Yodius is not a bad name. My mom's name is Eudora which is a good name. This is a little bit kind of a similar name there, Yodius and Syntyche, uh, ladies in the church. Paul says, ladies, be of the same mind. He doesn't get into the juicy details, but he just says, ladies, be of the same mind. And then he says, all right, uh, Yoke Fellow, that was a title of somebody there in the church. You've got to help these ladies. And Clement, you help these ladies get on the same page. And all the rest of you people at the church, help these ladies to, to work out whatever their difference is. Maybe the one lady is really upset. When she cleaned the church, she wants the toilet paper going this way. The other lady shows up and says, that's not how it goes. It goes the other way. 
and uh, they never cared to ask the pastor, so they started uh, fussing about it. I don't know, but they had some kind of fuss over this and uh, over something. We don't know, and it's good we don't know because apparently it's not that important. But here you have internal conflicts. Um, I remember we've had to have some trees that started to die around here in the last 15 years, and we've had to, you know, cut them down and pull them out. One of the hardest things to do, it's easy to cut down a tree, it's sometimes harder to pull out a stump. And so I've had where me and the boys, and we'd kind of dish out around the tree and try to get the bigger, um, the roots, cut the bigger roots with a saw or chainsaw, and then we'd have to just start doing the work of pulling, you know, and we'd get a rope, and and we'd start pulling, and we'd get another rope, start pulling, and and one thing you got to do is when you're pulling out a stump, you got to make sure you're really pulling in the same direction. Like if you have a stump, you don't want to get even one of your one of my boys pulling just a little bit this way and a little bit that way. Uh-uh. That your your physics. Come on. That you're working against each other. You want to keep your your pull parallel. So you're pulling in the same direction to get that thing out. And that's kind of the idea here today. Paul is talking to these ladies and he says your mind's wanting to go this way, and your mind's wanting to go this way. Let's, ladies, have your same mind in the Lord. Be uh, of the same mind in the Lord. Pull in the same direction. Uh, Paul was this kind of guy. Paul was the kind of guy that wanted people teaming up with him. It's nice to be, you know, um, have somebody help you do something. Have somebody help you on a team. I want you to imagine now, in this day, probably some years before this letter was written, Paul, when God called him to go preach gospel, the gospel message to different places and some cultures and subcultures, he, God had him do it as a team. Paul wasn't a solo guy. He brought Silas with him, who was another uh, Jewish Christian. And then you don't really kind of see it obvious in the text, but actually Dr. Luke was with him, a Greek man um, who was a Christian whom the, uh, the, the gospel is named after. And he was followed along. And then they later on picked up Timothy, who was a younger man they picked up. And so eventually he actually had four people with him by the time he went to this area, this first church in Europe, and started this church called the Church of Philippi. He went to a chief city, and he goes in there. God had called him to. He didn't do some kind of market study and try to figure out all the calculations. Not that there's bad, anything bad with that. He just said, God wants me to go there. I'll go there. He shows up in Europe for the first time a church is going to get planted in Europe. And he begins uh, the work of the gospel. The way it began was they went down by a river on the Sabbath day, and apparently there was no synagogue, so there was just some Jewish ladies praying down by a river. And he and some of his men, they went over there, and they just talked with the ladies. And they were, of course, Paul and Silas were Jews. Maybe Luke and and, uh, Timothy didn't show up yet. I don't know, but they were Jews, and they congregated, and they talked. And as they talked, uh, God opened the heart of one lady who was an entrepreneur named Lydia. And Lydia's heart was open, and she listened intently to Paul as he spoke and told about the, the predicted Messiah in the Old Testament and what he was like and how Paul said he's come and he's died. He was crucified and risen from the dead. And she listened intently and God opened her heart and she believed and she became what appears to be the first believer in this church. She gets saved and next thing you know, she's using her house as a place to congregate. And apparently a, a handful of other ladies were saved and other men were saved. And among those early people that were saved were Yodius and Syntyche, these two ladies. I mean, you got charter members of a church. 
They could say, I've been here all, I've been here since the church started. They could say stuff like that, you know. These ladies were the ones, Paul said, who labored with me in the gospel. They didn't just believe the message when Paul came. They actually worked, and they helped that church. Uh, uh, they worked for souls, for people to be saved, and they worked against Satan because there was satanic opposition. When this church first got started, if you want to read the whole story, it wasn't easy. And so you have these two ladies early on become believers and become members of a church. And Paul compliments them, even in, this, even in Philippians chapter 3, he says, they labored with me in the gospel. And the word labor means, it doesn't mean like just twiddle your thumbs, it means like to kind of agonize. They worked hard. So Paul compliments them. And, and so anyways, he, he starts the church. There's, it appears some of the first converts were ladies. Um, there's more to the story than this, but to get to where we're going today, Yodius and Syntyche, what in the world happened? I don't know, but something happened to these long-standing uh, members or mature uh, established church members. Something happened to where they had some kind of conflict. Again, it could be something silly like, of course, they probably didn't have, I feel bad for them if they didn't have toilet paper, but anyways, they may not have had roles like we have, or maybe they, I don't know if they fussed over that, or they fussed over where you're going to organize things in the church uh, cave, kitchen, whatever they had there, or maybe they fussed about how they parked their chariot. I don't know. Um, maybe there was something that, um, you know, uh, one wanted a position and the other wanted the position. They were kind of competitive for some position. I don't know. But you know what? Whatever these ladies fussing and conflict was about, apparently we know it was not doctrine. We know it was not a cardinal major doctrine, probably not even a minor doctrine. Do you know why? I'm, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a doctrine. Because if it was a doctrine... It would already have been nailed down right here. Paul would have said, all right, let's get this one nailed down. They weren't fussing about some doctrine. It wasn't like Yodius says, you know, I believe Jesus is God, and he's the only begotten Son of God. And Syntyche says, I don't think he is. And, and then Paul says, you know, ladies, just be of the same mind. Right. Nope, nope, nope. That's not how it works. That's a clear thing. It, it wasn't a doctrine thing. Okay. It was something else. It wasn't even a morality thing because that kind of comes into doctrine too. It wasn't like, you know, I think it's okay if, if, you, if you live together before you're married. And, and the other lady said, no, I don't think it's okay. I think you ought to be married if you're going to be living together. It wasn't like that. Otherwise, Paul would have come down and said something clear about that. This was something small. And whatever, whatever these two ladies with unique names were fussing about, it was small. And here's the thing. It got them pulling in different directions if not even pulling at all in church. You see, a church, when a church comes together, we come together to congregate and to feed and encourage each other and to learn and to worship, but then to pull for souls. That's what we're supposed to do. We should be working at trying to get somebody saved, get somebody to church or get the gospel to the somebody. We're supposed to be pulling, and now the ladies aren't pulling anymore. One mind is this way. She's upset because how she decorated the church. And the other lady's mind's this way. She's upset because she doesn't think the church needs decorating. And Paul's like, just be of the same mind in the Lord. In the Lord is not a matter of decoration. In the Lord is not a matter of these little petty things. In the Lord is, let's worship Him. Let's go after souls. Let's, look, let's look, reach people who are dying and going to hell and don't care about the decoration of a church. So that's what Paul's saying is bring... So, so here are these ladies. He started the church and now there's some kind of fuss that's starting and they're 
one's kind of pulling this direction, the other's pulling that direction. And so Paul has to call it out. Can you imagine coming to church the first day, all the Philippian church, and the pastor says, he sends out a foot email, and he says, go tell everybody we got an epistle from uh, Paul, and we're going to read it this Sunday. And somebody tells everybody, come in this Sunday. There's an epistle from the Apostle Paul. And everybody gets to church, and the pastor says, I'm going to read the epistle today. This will be the sermon. All we got to do is read it. And he gets to chapter 1. He talks about chapter 1, how Paul's excited about the church, and he hopes that he hears that the church is striving together for the gospel. And then he reads in chapter 2, and he learns, you know, don't don't look every man on his own things, but every man also on things of others. Don't be so self-centered. Be humbled and etc. And he reads through chapter 2 and he reads through chapter 3 and then everybody's listening like this is a great epistle. And then Paul says these very loving words, my beloved brethren, the whole Philippian church is listening, oh he loves us. My dearly beloved, oh he really loves us. My joy and my crown, oh he's really, he's really honored that he is a part of our church. Yes, he calls us our joy and crown. My dearly beloved, my joy and crown. Philippian church, stand fast in the Lord. And everybody's listening then finally he says, Yodius! And I beseech Syntyche. And then everybody goes, Syntyche. And they look at Yodius and Syntyche. And he says, I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche. The way I come down on your issue is, he didn't say that. He says, I beseech Yodius and I beseech Syntyche. Be of the same mind in the Lord. And you help and you help and of you help. That's all he says. So what is he trying to do? Paul's basically very tactfully you know, doesn't get into the weeds of the matter. Very tactfully, just says, all right, you know, I, you all know I love you. You and you. Come on. Everybody help them. Again, if it was deep, if it was moral issue, an immoral issue, or if it was a doctrinal issue, there's no, that, that, and he would go right at it and get detailed. Who was it? It's like you and you just stop it. And so here we learn the idea of resolving internal conflicts of the church. So here, I'd like to do, kind of walk through uh, some helps here uh, for us today as we think about this. Um, Five pointers in dealing with internal church conflict. And by the way, again, some of this can apply to, (coughs) excuse me, other places. But let's learn it from the first place we hear it from is in this local church letter. First thing you should do, there's a kind of a church conflict. This is what we need to do is, number one, we should discern the nature of the issue. Discern if there's a conflict between, you know, those ladies don't get along, or those two teenagers don't talk anymore, or whatever. First of all, first thing to do is, what's the nature of the conflict? You can't just go and say, hey, whatever it is, just get over it. No, 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 wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the nature of what's happening here? If it's a moral issue, we need to talk about it. If it's a, like, in details here. If it's a doctrinal issue, we need to sort that out. You know, if it's a legal issue, there's some things you respond that way. But most of the time in churches, it's petty personal issues. And most sometimes even in workplaces, petty personal stuff. So you have to discern the nature of an issue. Um, Did you know there's things, by the way, Look, if I were to go to your house and you were to go to my house, we'd start noticing different things that we do. You know, I, don't, I probably should take off my shoes when I come in my house. I don't. Maybe that's why our carpet's dirtier and stuff. And, mo- and a handful of families, they take off the shoes. That's cool. 
Um, my house smells different. And you don't think, you probably won't think that's cool. And yours probably smells better. And then I put, you know, we might, uh, I might, actually the way our house is arranged, my wife has it down. She's very, keeps it very neat and tidy. But there might be little things that I do, like for my, in my garage. Guys might, like, why does he have his tools like that? I think they ought to be like this. So what? Okay. When you go home, you put your tools how you want, and I throw my tools all in one spot. <laughs> you know? I used to organize them, but you know what? When you got boys, what's the use? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> I'm like, go in the pile. It's in there somewhere. I just need to know where the 10 millimeter is. Guys know what I'm talking about there. I can't find the 10 mil. Anyways, so what I'm saying is when we go home, we're different. It's okay. And those little things. Now, if you go home and indulge in some immoral thing, now that's a problem. We need to have a common morality, a common doctrine, a common Christian ethic. But if some of the other stuff, I don't care. You know, your organic food or not. I mean, I don't care. Um, so anyways, so whenever there's a conflict, like what is the nature of this? Is this a reconcilable difference? Or is it an irreconcilable difference? There are irreconcilable things. I can't reconcile <coughs> with somebody and it, it, that has like a severe doctrinal difference. I can be friendly, but I can't be like, hey, let's team right. together. No, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't lie. So, okay, so first thing, whenever there's an internal con conflict, just discern the nature of it. Secondly, <coughs> here, we need to realize that the, the primary pr people re responsible for solving a conflict is those involved. If there's a conflict in a group, in a church, the primary people responsible for fixing it are the people that are in involved. I could help, you could help, but gossiping doesn't help. But the primary people who have the fuss, it's their job to fix their conflict. That's what Paul teaches us. What does he say in chapter 4, verse 2? Yodius, I urge you. Syntyche, I'm urging you. He equally puts pressure on the two that the issue is with. You all work it out, and then, he's, then, he, then he throws on, secondly, help. But the idea here is whenever there's a, a conflict at your work, at your school, at your home, it is your responsibility to take a step toward that person and try to work something out in as much as lieth in you, Romans 12, 18 says. In as much as you can, live peaceably with all men. It's your responsibility to take that step, and you can't control if they take that step. And you can't sit there and want to... I notice that sometimes people want conflict because it gives attention. But the whole thing here is Paul... Okay, back to the Bible. Paul says, Yodius, Syntyche, come on, work this out. What is he doing? He's putting the pressure of those involved. He's making it their responsibility, primarily their responsibility, to resolve their conflict. Matthew 5, 23 to 24, if you go to the altar... You're going to your worship, and there you remember your brother has ought against thee. Go, leave your gift at the altar. God's not interested in your lavish worship. Go first and make, I'm paraphrasing, reconcile with thy brother. Then when you've reconciled, in other words, you take an initiative and go to him. He has something against you. You go to him, even if you don't think you're wrong. He has something against you. You go to him. Try to work it out. And you did your best to work it out or not, you've tried, then come back and offer your gift. That's Matthew 5, 23 to 24. Some of you probably had never heard of that concept, but you should look at it later. Secondly, so, the, so we're talking about church conflict. 
um, resolving it. What's the nature of the issue, first of all? Secondly, we should realize the people involved are the ones responsible to ultimately fix it. Thirdly, humility is necessary in any conflict resolution. I say again, thirdly, humility is necessary in any conflict resolution. Here's God, here's man, the most crucial conflict that has happened in humanity, in, in the world. Man was created in the image of God, and he sinned, and he separated from God. By one man's sin entered the world, death by sin. God and man. And what is involved in resolving that conflict? What's involved in resolving the conflict between God and man? The ultimate humility of Jesus Christ. God himself becoming a man, humbling, 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 humbling. By becoming a man, he's humbled himself. By coming and uh, uh, living a life of relative obscurity is humbling. Then by submitting himself uh, to 30, 30 years of basically quietness is humbling. And then looking like a, probably like a common man, not extraordinarily attractive. The Bible says there's no beauty in him or comeliness that we would desire him. He was a normal looking Jewish man. And then submitting himself and tolerating false accusations and submitting himself to the, to, the, to the death of the cross and being forsaken and propped up on a cross naked, suspended between heaven and earth, and letting them rail on him, that's humbling, but that's what it took to fix our conflict with him. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, God accounts your conflict with him done. So what does that mean to me? That's great for God. Well, the cross in Christ is, it provides a template for us for everything else in life. I, the best I could do to help resolve conflict is talk to somebody that maybe I have a difference with, but also involves a, it involves a matter of humility. It involves an attitude of humility. The Bible says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He'll, look, he'll lift you up. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible says of Jesus, that again, that he did that. Do you ever have something around your house that you feel like, man, I could fix with, I could fix um, everything with, with my duct tape? Anybody have duct tape and you use duct tape a lot? I can fix everything with duct tape, man. You know? My son, you know, I was talking to one of my boys the other a while back, Noah. We were walking and we smelled over by our <coughs> uh, where we were at. We could smell a skunk. I'm like, man, it kind of smells like a skunk. You know, it was like Crossroads Park isn't far from us, and they kind of have a area of undeveloped and there's some skunks back there. Hopefully they don't come to our fellowship, okay? Um, anyways, I haven't seen it happen, but we were walking. He's like, Dad, he goes, how do you, if you get sprayed by a skunk, what do you do? And I'm just walking with him, and I had this little cynical nature going in me. I was like, no, they say tomato juice, and then I'm like, you know what, it's probably apple cider vinegar. It seems like it fixes everything. And it probably is, isn't it? I was like, it's probably apple cider vinegar. I don't know. I just kind of threw that because I kept hearing all this stuff. And he's like, wow. He goes, man, I hope I never get sprayed by a skunk. I said, I know it's pretty bad trying to. He goes, no, it's the apple cider vinegar. <laughs> he hates that stuff, you know. Actually, I'm realizing it's good for you, you know. Some people, we feel like, you know, apple cider vinegar fixes a lot. You know, vinegar, my wife's using regular vinegar to spray stuff and clean stuff. You know, it fixes a lot of things, doesn't it? Listen, honestly, humility can fix a lot of things. <laughs> it can. It's one of those things you pull out, and like, I don't really like it, but it does fix a lot of things. Yeah. 
And I think here is a, they, if Yodius and Syntyche were listening to the epistle up till now, they knew that's part of what would it would take to solve their conflict. Number, number four, a couple more pointers here. Uh, in resolving church conflict, discern the nature of it, realize the original parties are the primary ones res responsible for solving it. Humility is necessary, number three. Number four, sometimes we do need intervention. Now, this is what Paul says in verse four, or pardon me, verse three. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. That's another way of saying, <clears throat> hey, companion. He calls, there's a word for it in the Greek. It actually could have been a personal name of somebody. Or the impression here is he's giving a description of a guy, and the guy knew who he was. It was not a personal name description, but it was another description. He's like, hey, true yoke fellow, true companion, you know who you are. Help those ladies. True yoke fellow means somebody who yokes with you and pulls in the same direction. He says, hey, you, true yoke fellow in the church, you help those ladies. And then Clement, he names another person. Don't know who Clement is. I don't think it's the same that was in early church history that we've heard about later. It's another one, I believe. You help these ladies. And then, what does he say? Um, and with the rest of my fall labors. You, you, and you help these ladies sort this out mediate. Here's the thing that this goes for all kinds of problems, all sorts of problems, whether it's a minor or major. It's always good to have a little bit of mediating. You know, it's always good to have that, to try. Um, and that's what happens here. My son Gideon, when he was married last summer, and um, they, he and Shelby went up to Utah for their honeymoon, did, hit a bunch of different places, and I don't know where I was at in Utah, but he went off-road a little bit in his truck. Is that even a four-wheel drive truck? I don't even remember if that is. It's Toyota. And he went off-road, and it was kind of a sandy area. <clears throat> and he got in, and he started, I don't even think he went off-road very long. He got stuck really soon. Or he got stuck. Here's the road. He wasn't that far off the road, and he just got stuck in the sand. It wasn't even that it was that deep. It's just like the nature of the sand is very... Uh, I don't know if it's slick or I don't know how you describe it. He's like, I just could not get any grip in this sand. And he was there. And Gideon's very independent-minded, very independent-minded. Like, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get out of this. I don't need anybody's help. And he sat there, sat there, and he was stuck. Finally, they called some, somebody, and it was like a, a Jeep that came over. And, again, not, here's the road. Here's him. Not very far away. Couldn't get it out. And the Jeep just had like a stench or something, just pulled him back up and put him over there. It's not that he was way far off, just a little bit off. He just needed a little bit of help. And that's how it is. Sometimes we just need a little intervention. We get stuck in something. Sometimes I get a little stuck in my mentality, and I need somebody, a third party, to come in and help me with something, understanding something with my, in my family or with church. That's why it's good and wise to hearken unto counsel. He that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. He that hearkens unto some intervention is wise. Yodius and Syntyche, Paul called for some people to kind of intervene, and they would be wise to let them intervene and sort out whatever the anonymous conflict was. Sometimes we need intervention. That's what, again, the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And then the last of, last of all, the last thing about some pointers about, um, about resolving church conflict is you see Paul address the people. You see him... Um, Say, be of the same mind in the Lord, pull in the same direction, have a, have a mentality that's, um, that, that, that is 
you're sharing your common ground in the Lord. Whatever you're doing, you're doing because you agree on this is for the Lord. And if you go home and act, uh, have different personal choices, that's a different thing. But he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. And then he says, he calls for people to help. And then <clears throat> the whole idea here is this. Number five I'm trying to teach today is all of this, the whole motive for all of this stuff is so that Christian, Christians need to resolve their conflict so that we could go about the gospel work. The mo- I'll say it again. The motive for resolving conflict in a church, what is it? What's the motive? The motive is so we can get about doing the gospel work. It's not so that, oh, so that we can go about our little other non-gospel work business. No. The, the motive is not so that, say, see, I won that argument. No, that's not the motive. The, the motive for resolving this conflict, if you see Paul's language and you hear his, what he's saying, is so that you can get back to laboring for the gospel, so we can pull some stumps out, so we can pull some people out of the fire to Jesus Christ, and towards Jesus Christ, so that we can have our, that we can have the same mind in the Lord. The whole reason for the, all that is so that we can get back to the work of a gospel. You know, it's gonna, there's always going to be in a family, in a workplace, in a church, there's always going to be in time a little bit of tension somehow at different levels, okay? If, you're around, if we're around each other more often, yeah, we'll have a little tension, you know, but we need to work through it. Having a little tension, having a little difference is okay. Just process it, work through it. The question is, are we all minded for the gospel? Do we all agree here that the reason we assemble is to just to have an opportunity to worship, encourage with somebody else, learn something from the Bible, but the reason we worship because everybody out there is dying and they need to hear from us. And the Lord's mind is, go to them, be my body and my hands to them. And we're like, that's my mind. I want that mind. I'm going to show up at the next visitation. I'm going to put my name down to help with neighborhood Bible time. I'm going to be there for a revival meeting. I'm going to pray for somebody. I heard pastor said somebody came to church for the first time last week, raised their hand about about being saved and not saved yet. I'm going to pray for them. Oh, yeah, we're all minded for the gospel. That's how we ought to be. And so that's why we're here. It's not because, it's not for other things. We enjoy the other things. We enjoy the fellowship. We enjoy the other stuff, but it's for, it's for that. Um, so Satan hates it when we commit to um, doing, you know, gospel work. He hates that. He hates every one of our visitations. He hates it when we try to do a kids' outreach this summer. He hates it if we try to get kids to go to camp to hear the gospel. He hates it if somebody comes into the building that's not saved and he wants to cause disturbance or make you grumpy and not greet them. He hates that stuff. He he hates it when somebody else gets saved. He wants us to pull this direction. He wants us to pull that direction instead of pulling in the direction that's God-word and gospel-word. You know what's interesting, a football team, I remember watching this, I didn't have the privilege of playing in high school, I just was a little Pop Warner brat, I paid, played Pop Warner a little bit, and then I didn't play in high school, but I watched the football teams at our school, I went to Mesa High, and I remember, I knew some of the guys, I was friends with some of the guys on the team, and they're like, yeah, I know that guy right there, and I know that guy right there, and I thought, you know, these, this guy and this guy, they're kind of different, you know, I, I kind of hang out with this guy, and he's in my neighborhood, and we're, we're pretty similar, that guy, man, he's different. He doesn't, he's kind of has a kind of a different family life, and he definitely has different grades. He's smarter than my friend, and maybe I need to be his friend. But anyways, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and I would notice some of these players kind of had different lives. But you know what? On Friday, they all wore their jersey, and it was like they're all the same. And on the field, they were all the same. 
And they were all going in the same direction. And they were all, you might they were all one culture on the field, especially on Fridays, one culture. When they were done, they had pizza and all that. And back Saturday, Sunday, they were a little bit, they're, they're different selves, but same team. And that's how it is with us. We can be our different selves to an extent. But when it comes to, hey, I'm in church, I'm a member, okay, let's be on the same team. Let's, let's pray for people to be saved. Let's work on people to be saved. Let's see what the church needs, and let's be of the same mind in the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. Um, this, is that clock slow, or am I really doing good? I have like seven more minutes? All right, well, so, listen, I read something. Um, uh, I read something that really blessed my heart, and I... And I I almost didn't believe it at first, and, I, and so then I actually went to the National Archives and verified what I'm going to tell you, because I'm like, this can't be true, but it was, according to some National Archives that have some of these documents. So uh, John Adams is our uh, first vice president under George Washington, and John Adams became our second president. Um, Thomas Jefferson was our second vice president under John Adams, and he became our third president. He's on your money, right? And, um, and carved into a mountain, I believe, right? Uh, so, okay, so that's, that's uh, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. I didn't know this, <clears throat> and, but um, so both of these guys were signers of the Declaration of Independence. That was the, th- the statement that said, so long, so long uh, Britain, we're our own country now. And um, they were signers among the several others that were signers of that. Both labored to help us forge this government over 200-something years ago. Both became a vice president. Both became eventually a president. But eventually, and they were friends, but then they were frenemies. (laughs) And they eventually became enemies. In fact, they ended up competing against each other for office one time, or I think more than one time. And, And they even had little different political nuances. One was a little more central government, the other was more states' rights guy, and they just had it, and they they just ver- the way they verbalized their difference was 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 not good, and it became a known dif- it became a known conflict around Washington of John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson, influential founders of our country, signed the Declaration, helped us with this government. Yet they're fussing, and it became known. People knew about it. Pretty soon they just stopped talking. All communication ceased between those two, and then. After a while, in uh, 1809, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was also a signer of our Constitution, is an amazing person. You should read about him. Dr. Benjamin Rush was both of their friends. He was John Adams' friends. He was he was uh, um, John Adams' friend. He was Thomas Jefferson's friend. Um, anyways, he said, "I'm going to try to reconcile these guys." So what he did was he, uh, in 1809, he began an effort to help renew their friendship together. And here's what he did. Here's why he did this. He said, well, he wrote a letter. Here's what he did. He first wrote a letter. Benjamin Rush wrote a letter to John Adams. And in the letter, he claims, and this is where you can find this in National Archives. In the letter, he said all these nice things. He said that he had a dream where he saw in his words where he had a dream where he saw that there would be the renewal of the friendship between these two men and their communication between him 
each other, and that they would, quote, sink into the grave at nearly the same time in the future, full of years and rich in the gratitude and praises of their country. So he writes this to John Adams saying, I see that you guys are going to reconcile and you're both going to die about the same time. And John Adams gets this letter, he reads it, he writes Benjamin Rush back, he says, well, your prophecy may be true, but it's not history yet. But if Thomas Jefferson writes me, if the gentleman writes me, I'll be gracious enough to respond back. But nobody moved. Thomas Jefferson didn't write him. John Adams didn't write him. Benjamin Rush was still communicating between them both. And so uh, after a while, John, after three years in 1812, uh, uh, John Adams took the first step. In January 1st, 1812, John Adams, all right, I, he writes a letter to his heated enemy of the past, before that friend, writes a letter to him, sends him the letter. In the letter, he says, he concludes it with, I wish you, sir, many happy New Year's. I am, sir, with long and sincere esteem, your friend and servant. Mr. Jefferson received it with, and graciously responded back to it by the end of January 1812. And then a letter writing habit gently back and forth between these two founding fathers. And Benjamin Rush was happy. I get to see these guys who are my friends communicate again. And for 14 years, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson were writing personal letters back to each other. Most of them you can look up and read. And by the way, historians are glad about that because it gives them a little more insight into their values and how they really felt about life and all. And so people like to peek in on those letters. But they started writing each other for 14 years and they ended up until they did die on the same year, 1826. But not just the same year. They died on the same day. July 4th, 1826, not just July 4th, it was a 50th birthday of our country. Two of our founding fathers had reconciled and died on the same day, hours apart. Isn't that amazing? And people are glad that they reconciled. As I said, we're like, well, that was nice. It gave the nation a sense of unity. Oh, okay, good. At least these two aren't fussing. And it gave them some insight on what, when they read their letters, oh, they gained some insight on what they thought. And one guy said, you know, their division is not as big, as big of a story as their reconciliation. I guess what I want to ask is, I, I, I like to see that, but what I want to ask us for us today, three questions and we'll be done. <clears throat> Say, ask yourself, am I at conflict with somebody? And if I am, have I tried anything, to do anything about it? whether it rises to the level of what we're talking about today or even to something higher. Am I at conflict? If you are, make effort, at least in as much as is in you, Romans 12, 18. As much as in you, let peace be with all men. Some of us, when we're, as soon as we're at conflict, you know what we don't make? We don't make effort, we make a run. But you should make effort. Uh, am I at conflict? Ask yourself, with somebody? Here, we'll make an effort to reconcile. Enlist some help if you have to. The next question is, am I involved in the gospel labor? And that's, again, that's what Paul's trying to, he's trying to clear things up so the gospel work could go. The Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. And you're like, wow, it would be good if I, cre if I preach the gospel to 
just one preacher. That would be good. Am I involved in gospel labor? And then the most important question as we think about this stuff, ask yourself, am I, am I reconciled with God? Am I at one with God through Jesus Christ? The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and now has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We're always trying to, in a way, you want to, if you have a conflict with somebody, you want to reconcile with them the best you can and as much as lieth in you. Get a little help to help you with that. And if you can't, then you can't. But as it relates to people, I also want to go to people and help a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ reconcile with God and say, listen, believing on Jesus Christ is your way to uh, eternal life. It's your way to be safe with God. God is not safe. (laughs) But in Christ, He's safe. That's why we call it being saved. So I want to help somebody trust Jesus and reconcile them to God. So God has given us that ministry. So am I, again, am I a conflict? Make a move if you are. Am I involved in the gospel labor? Make a move if you're not. Am I at one with God? If not, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be safe. You'll be saved.